I'm not the shoes I wear, I'm not the clothes I buy, I'm not the house I live in, I'm not the car I drive, I'm not the job I work, you, you can't define my word, but nothing on God's green earth, my identity is found in Christ, it's found in Christ. We are in this series called Identity, and we're taking a look at the identity that we have in Christ. Gideon, you're supposed to throw this away, man. Where'd he, where'd he go? <laughs> he left it there, there for me. Um, we are, uh, we're, we're finding our identity in Christ, not in anything else. Not in the shoes that I wear, not in the car that I drive, not in the job that I have, but my identity is in Christ. Christ. And we started, we started Ephesians 1.1. We took a look at the core identity uh, that we have. Um, in, in, in first of all, it says is saint. It's a holy one of God. But also on the opposite side of that coin is that we have an identity as a faithful follower. And anybody that's a faithful follower is a saint and is made such by God. Anybody that's a saint is a faithful follower. But we may go, man, <clears throat> I, I'm imperfect. I'm imperfect. I, you know, I'd love to be a faithful follower, but I'm imperfect. And, and the gloriousness of, I think that's a word, but it is now, the gloriousness of being a saint is that we are also imperfect faithful followers in that paradox and the grace that's involved there inside of that paradox. And really being, being uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, series called Identity is about finding the identity of a saint. Who is a saint? And a saint, first of all, is blessed. And we see in Ephesians 1, all the blessings that we see, re- receive as being a saint and that they're internal and not external. Uh, they're not things that we receive like a prize or money, but they're something that we receive from the inside. And we saw the next week a a prayer of Paul uh, to to deepen the identity of the saints in Ephesians. But really the core of that prayer is that Paul is praying that the Ephesians would know the power of God. That saints are powerful. Not in and of themselves, but they they are powerful because they have received the power of God. But how really does the power of God work practically in our life? And we looked at last week, Ephesians 2, that we were once followers of God. But, remember Paul's big but? Paul's but. We were once followers of Satan, but now we are followers of God. And God's power is at work inside of us to transform us. So that we are his trophy, the trophy of his kindness and his grace. And he transforms us so that we can be completely dependent upon him for our salvation and for our everything. And he transforms us and he uses his power to transform us and that, that he has made us a workmanship. He has made a masterpiece already with us. We are a masterpiece of God for good works and so that we go out and by God's power we are doing these good works so that we can see God work to transform other people. So you might be saying, man, you know what? You, you, we once were following Satan but then we transition to follow God. And really, it's kind of, it's like going from one team to another. 
And if you go from one rival team to another rival team, isn't there going to be some issues? Isn't there going to be some friction? Isn't there going to be some stuff that's, that's happening? I mean, imagine, you know, being traded from like the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees. Rivals, bitter rivals. Or the Philadelphia Eagles to the, to the Dallas Cowboys, bitter rivals. And you go from one rival to another and you sit in that locker room and you're staring at people who were once your rival. Just last week or just last year or a couple months ago. I mean, you hear stories in baseball because they play every day of, of a trade occurring and those teams are playing each other. <laughs> the guy goes from one clubhouse across the stadium to the other clubhouse. And then he's on the other team. Paul didn't have uh, the, the context or the culture that knew of team sports, or I think he would tap into this because he used sporting metaphors all over his letters. He used running, he talked about boxing. But they were in an individual culture or individual sports society. That's where we get the Olympics. So that Olympics started way back when. Thankfully, they've, you know, now they're clothed and they don't run naked anymore and, and, and stuff. And, and, you know, we just keep going back to butts. But anyway, and, and, and I think he would tap into that imagery and that metaphor today if he knew of team sports because he utilizes community metaphors all over the place and we're going to use that metaphor to talk about the the transfer of team but really we're not going to go to america for a metaphor we're going to go over to europe to the soccer leagues of europe i know it's going to be a shock for some of you but the soccer leagues of europe they do things completely different over there they don't do player trades if one team wants to get a player off of another team Every player has a price. So one team pays the price for the other player. Just literally gives them cash, write a check, however that, that works. I guess, you know, click a button and transfer it electronically now. But pays the price for this other player. I think this illustration is going to work throughout seeing how Paul talks about the power of God to bring us an identity on this team, not just as individuals. What does it look like to transfer from our rival, from a rival team to another team? In Manchester, England, there's two teams, Manchester United and Manchester City. They're bitter rivals because they're both in this smaller town of, of England. Two times a year they play each other and it's just a heated battle. And imagine being a player that played for Manchester City but got bought, got transferred to Manchester United. A team that months before you had played. Now you're sitting in their locker room. What can you do to get their identity? Well, you could start out with externals. You could start out, I mean, you get their kit, you get their uniform, you go from the blue of Manchester City to the red of Manchester United, you get a brand new uniform, but that's external. You could get a tattoo. You could, you could tattoo the crest of, of Manchester United right there on your shoulder. I mean, guys do it, right? So you could, you could get a tattoo. While it's permanent, it's still external. 
You could go out with the guys. You could hang out with the guys. Well, it's something you could do. It's still external. Paul faced this same issue. When he started the Ephesian church, what he would do is he would go into a city like Ephesus. He would start preaching at the synagogue about Jesus being the Messiah. He would preach there until they got mad and kicked him out. And then what he would do is he would go to the marketplace. He would go to the marketplace until, and talk, talk to the Gentiles about Christ, about how he is the savior of the world and that he saved their sins and everything and, and get people to believe. But he would preach in the marketplace until he started a riot and then he would leave the city. So it'd be like me moving to Republic, starting preaching, kind of going in a circuit around all the churches, get them all ticked off to where they wouldn't care anymore about hearing me. And then I would go out into the marketplace and get them so riled up, I'd start a riot in Republic, and then I would have to go to you know, Marshfield or something. <laughs> but when he started this church, he found people from the Jewish and the Gentile uh, teams who would want to have faith in Jesus and then they would form a church and now you have people who have been religious all of their life close to God following the law monotheistic and then these people who are at best polytheistic or atheist they might have worshipped by you know going and seeing some shrine prostitutes They ate all kinds of food and food sacrificed to idols. So on, on, on two sides of the ledger, you've got people that were religious all their life and people who were, mm, even if they were religious, they were doing all kinds of things that would offend this other side. And Paul has to deal with this inside of his churches. And here's how Paul starts, Ephesians 2.11. You can follow along in a hardbound Bible or you can follow along. We're going to throw the scriptures up on the screen or, or with the smartphone or, or tablet. You can follow along with the, with the Bible app. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You're outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Paul is dealing with a group of people who thought that the outward actions of the body, what they can do to their body, showed how in they were with God. And the Jews thought that circumcision got them closer to God. And some of you just got nervous. You're like, last week you were talking about butts, this week you're talking about anyway. <laughs> Here we are, like, like the Jews are like looking at the Gentiles and going, in order to be close to God, you have to be circumcised. And the Gentiles are going, uh-uh. I don't want any part of that. That wasn't a part, of, uh, Paul didn't say that was a part of coming to Christ, you know. Pray the prayer and Here's a knife. And that's, I wouldn't sign up for that. And all of a sudden, the Gentiles became Baptists. They wanted to vote on this. Can we get a vote, please? Business meeting, something, anything. 
And they're dealing with, does something that we do to our body bring us closer, bring us closer and give us an identity as a part of the team? And Paul's going, huh? Paul's using some sarcasm with the Jews. Paul has the spiritual gift of sarcasm. You call these people uncircumcised heathens, but what you did to your body does nothing to your heart. There's nothing. And even way back to the law, the Old Testament law in Leviticus, God tells them that circumcision wasn't about body parts. It was about the heart. Leviticus 26.41 So that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, then they make amends for their iniquity. All throughout the Old Testament, God talks about the heart in terms of circumcision. Hard hearts were uncircumcised. Soft hearts were circumcised. It wasn't about body parts. It was about the heart. And so, so often today, we can make Christianity not necessarily about body parts, but about outward actions that prove how good we are. Just walk into any Christian bookstore. We sell outward righteousness. We can go buy a t-shirt that shows how close we are to God. Wear the t-shirt. I've got the t-shirt. We can buy a bigger Bible. You know, none of the small stuff. We want a rat squisher Bible. That proves how close I am to God. And I can have my own extermination business on the side because it could kill anything we even have Christian mints testaments it proves how close I am with God my mints are holy well I have a lifesaver mine are holy too we have all this outward stuff that shows how close we are to God but it does nothing to make sure that our hearts are close to God So even religious practices or disciplines we can use to show how good we are. Bible reading or prayer or giving or coming to church. Man, I come to church, so look how close I am with God. But that's all outward stuff. We need a church that isn't all about the outward appearance and all about the stuff that we can do to our body, we need a church that is identified with God from the inside out. People who care more about their heart than what they do on the outside to make themselves look good. We average about 70. And hopefully among us, among, uh, among us and in that 70 are people who are just kind of kicking the tires of this Christianity thing. But a core group of 50 or 60 people who want to be changed from the inside out and have an identity of the heart with God can change Republic and change the world. We saw that in the New Testament. We saw that in Acts. Just a small core group can change the world. So let me ask you. Let me ask all of us. Are we relying on things we can do to our body to identify us with Christ? Or are we relying on Christ to?
to identify ourselves with Christ. See, all the way through Ephesians, keep talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. Are we in Christ? Are we immersed in Christ? Are we baptized in Christ? Not physically. Again, baptism can be an outward physical thing we do. Is it an important symbol? Absolutely. But we can turn it into just something we do. Are we in Christ, truly immersed in Christ? So that He's using His power to transform us from the inside out. And we have some people, I'm excited because we have people that are being transformed from the inside out. But if we can't do stuff on the outside, how do we come into this identity on the team? But now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Through His blood, Christ purchased our ability to be on the team. Christ purchased our ability. See, our Manchester United guy that comes into the locker room, he only gets the ability to come into that locker room because the owner purchased him. He had a price, and the owner purchased him. And in our culture, in our sporting culture, we all have a price based on our ability, based on how good we are. It's not the case spiritually. All of us have the same price. It's not about being good or being bad or how good we are, how good we look or I have a higher price because I do all these things or I have these giftings or all of us have the same price. It's death. And not just death, it's death by something that is perfect. And we're not perfect. So it has to come from outside of us. Just like our Manchester United guy coming on to Manchester United, he can't pay his own purchase price. The owner has to. And we have an owner spiritually who paid our purchase price of death. He was perfect. He was the perfect lamb. And he paid that price. And for those of us that would say, you know what? I'm not on God's team. What can I do? Well, it's already been done. The purchase price has already been paid. You just simply say, God, I'm ready to transfer teams. I'm ready to have the identity of your team. I am ready. Can you make that happen? It's that simple? Yeah. It is. It is. But even if we have the ability to be on the team and come into that locker room, when we are in rivals team, we've probably done something to somebody on that team to tick them off. We've heard them. We've gouged them, a little bit of gamesmanship. We've done something to make them mad. And so when we come into that locker room and we sit down in our stool in front of our locker, we have a problem because we've made everybody else on that team upset at something that I've done. So what happens now? Do I just... I have the ability to be on the team, but do I just kind of live in this hostility this anger this friction because of what I've done for Christ himself has brought peace to us 
He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. So what we've got is that we've got two groups of people. We've got two groups of people. We've got, the, we've got the Jews. We've got the Jews who think it's following the law and being good and all this outward stuff. And we've got the Gentiles that are just like, I don't care about any of that stuff. And they've, they've, they've built this, this, this hostile wall, this, this, this dividing wall of hostility because you know, one group's like, you don't do this enough. And the other group, you do this. And you don't do this. And you do this. And you don't do this. And they build this hostility wall, this dividing wall of hostility. Those of you that have ever had a family feud, you know this dividing wall of hostility. And that can become our identity, can't it? Hatfields and McCoys, Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet. That can become our identity. We can't overstep our identity, can we, of this hostility. What does it take for a Manchester United guy sitting on a stool that has all this hostility? It takes somebody from that team to walk around the wall of hostility and sit down and say, I don't really care what you've done. It doesn't matter anymore. You're part of the team. And I'm going to bring peace to you. I haven't seen the movie 42 yet, the movie about Jackie Robinson. I want to see it. But there had to be people with Jackie Robinson that sat down with him and said, I know what everybody's saying, but I want to be peace to you. I want to be the person of peace. Walk around that wall of hostility. And you know what they do, actually, when they walk around that wall of hostility to bring peace? They kick that wall down. And that's what Christ did. He kicks the wall of hostility down. And what is the wall of hostility? It's the law. He demolishes the law. But some of you that know your Bible are like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Didn't Jesus say, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it? But here, Paul's saying, I've come, or Jesus came to abolish the law and destroy the law the context in which both of them are used. Jesus is talking about the true law, the law that God intended us to have. Paul is talking about the ceremonial law, the law that man builds between people. Jesus came to knock that square flat down to the earth. He did it on while he was living... Remember when he goes into the court of the Gentiles? He's sitting there forming a whip. Then he goes postal. I'm sorry, anybody? Then he goes nuts on the people selling stuff. The Jews selling stuff in the court of Gentiles. That's him 
bringing down this wall of hostility. But also through the cross, when the veil was torn, the work of bringing peace to both the Jew and the Gentile was complete. And so he brought down this wall of hostility. But you know what? We have a tendency to build it back up today. All these things that we do outwardly, we use to try and build that wall back up. For instance, I didn't mention this earlier, but you know, if we, and I don't know any of y'all's cars, so if I, you know, offend you and talk about your car, then I'm sorry, but when we buy a fish that is eating a Darwin fish, have we ever thought that driving down the road and having somebody behind us that's, a, that's, a, that's an atheist, Darwinist, is that, I guess so, I mean, I don't know, slam on the brakes in the middle of the highway and go, oh man, they're right, I'm so sorry God, your fish eats my fish, that's right. No, what do they say? Those blankety blank Christians thinking they're all better than us? We're building a wall of hostility. Boldness is not code word to go be a jerk. There are other things that are going through my mind that I can't say because I'm in church. Or the t-shirts that we wear. Or the billboards that we put up. Followed any of my commandments lately? God. Does anybody really think that somebody driving down the road sees that and goes, oh, huh, they're right. Or the pithy little sayings, you ever wonder why we don't have a sign? The pith, pithy little sayings that we put on our signs? We ain't ever having a sign, folks. We don't need that. Ain't, ain't, nobody's getting saved from our signs. There's actually books that give people like things to say on the signs. Burn the books. But we are building, what we are doing is we are building back a wall of hostility that Jesus died to flatten. Jesus died to flatten that wall of hostility between those who are religious and those who, aren't, those who grew up in church and those who didn't. He died to flatten that wall. And so before we put that Facebook post making fun of our president, are we building up a wall of hostility? I saw in our Baptist paper, our state Baptist paper this week, a dumb cartoon making fun of, of homosexual marriage. Building Walls of hostility. It's not funny. It's not funny. We as a people need to be about keeping that wall that Jesus died to bring down, down. This is why we don't 
This is a politic-free zone. Obama-free zone. McCain-free zone. Maybe we make fun of him, but... Point being, in order to keep that wall of hostility down, I want to be truthful. I want to be truthful about what the Bible says. That's why I preach the way I do, so that people... Those of you that may just be checking this church thing out and this God thing out, you you can at least say, I don't believe it, but at least he's saying it from the Bible. And then you get to make your decision on whether you believe it or not. Are we as a people willing to keep that wall of hostility down. And those of you that, again, that that would consider yourself a non-fan, if you experience a wall of hostility here, tell me so that we can deal with it and kick it down. Because what he is doing is he is making one new team out of the two teams. As soon as a new person comes on a, new, on, on a team, even though it has the same name and the same colors, it is a new team. As soon as one person, one personality comes on a team, that changes the whole personality of the team. And a new team is made. And this is why the church is a pic, or a marriage is a picture of the church. A marriage is two people, both sinners, both who have hostile relations with one another, even though you don't realize, you're too blind to realize in it before marriage day, right? Don't be all holy on me here. Too blind to realize that you're hostile towards each other on something. Toothpaste, how you squeeze it, you know, toilet seat, you know, whatever. Two people who are hostile with each other on something coming together as one. That's why, that's why that is a picture of the church because, because, because just our church, I mean, 70 people on average, you know, probably somewhere around, if we you know, count every head, you know, somewhere around 100. I mean, we got, we're going to have issues with one another. We're going to get underneath each other's skin. I mean, I've done that with some of y'all. Don't raise your hand, all right? Just let it be. Coming together... There's going to be some sort of rub and hostility and that's where Jesus' peace comes in and that He has given us peace so that we can look over these little annoyances and the hostilities that we could have towards one another. But this is even why I, I, I really believe that God is still has a lot of work to do because if we look around, for the most part, we are people that could get along with each other outside of this church. If we just met each other at at a restaurant or something, come across each other, we could probably get along fairly well together. When the Spirit is at work is when people who would normally be hostile to each other come and in that body become peaceful with one another. That's when the Spirit of God is really at work. So be praying for that. God continues to work so that he brings together in this body of people, in this group of people, people who would be normally hostile to each other, bring them together to, and, and show the peace that comes through Jesus' blood. And that's a, that's a testimony and a witness to the world because the world's going, you, you, you should hate each other. But there's peace. 
Christ's blood doesn't just forgive our sins. There's so much more than that. It brings peace to people who would normally be hostile to each other. And he puts that hostility to death. He kills the killing. That's what really what we're doing. We're killing each other's identity. When we're hostile to each other. He kills the killing. But even if we're able to get into the locker room, even if there's somebody to, to bring peace to the situation, does that mean somebody that is traded in or transferred in, they have to kind of prove themselves? or, or the, In order to get full varsity access to everything in the organization, do, do they have like a waiting period or time period or, 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 or what? I mean, does he just kind of show up, go to the locker room, get dressed and go play and go home? Does he have full access? Now all of us, all of us. You know what that Greek word behind the word all means? All. It means all. Can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. See all this community language, togetherness language. God is pulling all of us together. You know, citizens, God's holy people. You are members of God's family, community, together in this language. Together we are God's house, community, language. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We all have... Full access to God. Through Jesus' blood, we have full access to God. Like, do I have to work it off? Do I have to be, you know, a good faithful follower for a couple years or three years? Or do I have to make it to the Hall of Fame to have full access to God? No. As soon as we go, God, put me on your team, we have full access to God. We have full access to the Father. We have full access to the coach, to the general manager, to the, to the owner. We have full access to the facilities. It's called God's church. We have full access through Christ's blood. There's no junior varsity saint and varsity saint. It's just saints. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to be good for a certain period of time. You know, some of your workplaces, like, you have to be on here for 90 days or six months or whatever to get benefits. Uh-uh. Not in God's team. It's not the case. We have full access immediately through the blood of Christ. So what does he want to do with us? What does he want to do with you through this? I mean, it's all great information, Right? We can tuck it away. We can take notes on it, which is great. It's awesome. But what does he really want to do with our life because of this? Did you catch it at the end of this passage? Paul calls us God's temple. Old Testament, what was the temple? It wasn't the place of worship. It's not what the temple was. It was where God dwelled with his people. It's where God dwelled with his people. And so his church today is making us, he's building us into the temple in which he dwells. Paul says this. 
Through him, you Gentiles, even you Gentiles, those of you that were non-religious, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his Spirit. Us as a people, we are God's dwelling place. This building is just a building. It is not holy. It has nothing to do with it. That's why we can do wild and crazy things, because I don't care about a building. We as a people are God's dwelling place. That's what God is doing with you. He is building you into this team so that he can be his dwelling place. So all of us collectively together are his dwelling place. And what else is he doing? Notice that a couple times in this passage, one I'll focus on, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus once, You're far away from God. But now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. Now for those of us that are near to God, those of us that we are being made into His dwelling place, we are here to draw people near to God, those that are far away. And so when we go back to our neighborhoods, when we go back to our workplace, when we go back to our school, We look around us and we say, far from God, far from God. God, Jesus, you shed your blood to draw them near to to you. Teach me, tell me, how do I draw them near to you? What do I need to do to draw them near to you? And it may be sharing the plan of salvation. That Hey, look, you feel far away from God? You know it, I know it, we all know it. Christ died in order to draw you near. Christ shed his blood to draw you near. That's all you need to know. It might be just being nice to them. (laughs) But this is really all the evangelism training any of us need. Christ died to draw us near. That's it. We can memorize that today, right? We can memorize that. If you can't, you go to a doctor, check out short-term memory loss, you know, that sort of thing. Get that fixed. Get that fixed. But he is now using us to draw those who are far away closer to him. That's why he has you in your job. That's why he has you in your neighborhood. That's why he has you in the school that you go to. To draw those who are far away close to him. God has transferred us to his team. Or he is seeking to transfer you to his team. As the band plays and we have a time of reflection, where are you? What is God saying? What is God doing? What does he want you, how does he want you to respond to him? I want to be here. I'm more than willing to pray with you. Shelly's here. Grab somebody you trust if you need somebody to talk to and to pray with. But what's God saying? What's God doing? How is He drawing you to be a part of His team? And what is He saying to you about what that means? Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray that you will continue to guide us and show us. Use your power to draw us into your team. and Draw us near to you. Use your power to, to continue to, to transform our identity into, into the identity of, of, of being a part of your team and being a dwelling place of you and what that means and what that means for us as we go out and live our lives. Give us names of people that you are trying to draw near to you through our lives. Give us ideas on how to engage with them and, 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 and keep this wall of hostility down and bring peace to them. Show them that, that, that they can have full access to you. Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing. Continue to work in our lives. In your name that I pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. During this time, deal with God as He's dealing with you. Or enter into His throne through this song.